0: The Lord be with you. There we go. Now I'm happy. Well, um, Pastor Feeney said, uh, "Why don't you just take on law and gospel this week?" And so he gave me this little book, and uh, yeah, it's uh, where is it here? Anyway, um. It it must be the hardest thing to do because it's got the least amount of print in the formula of Concord of almost anything. I almost couldn't find it at one point. Um, But, uh, yeah, it said if someone can truly do this, the pastors spend their whole life trying to discern law and gospel. And if they can do it right, they truly are a master of theology. Um, (laughs) See you later. Okay um, But where does the difficulty in this come from? And that is, what is the gospel? And this was really the beginning and crux of the controversy, because if you ask someone, "Well, what is the gospel?" they will say it's um, the grace of Christ, the preaching of the grace of Christ. But others would say, like uh, the good Dr. Scare in Fort Wayne, he would, we would be reading and looking, and he goes, and all you guys out there with your red-letter versions of the Bible pointing to the words of Jesus in the Gospels, the whole thing is the words of Jesus. It's God's Word. The whole thing ought to be printed and read. So really, the whole thing is the gospel. So, my grandmother, dearly departed, who told me one day before I ever went to seminary, she's like, I just hate reading the Old Testament. It's so full of violence and all these horrible things. And I'm like, but yeah, it's there for a reason and God uses all these horrible things. And He uses it for his good. Um, So, the whole thing is gospel because, as I said in my sermon, the whole thing points to Christ. So, its entire preaching is Christ, but um, how is all of it preaching God's grace? Or my question was here, is the entire preaching of Christ or the preaching of God's grace? And it's like, yes, it is. Um, This... Was, was and is the problem for antinomians who do not believe that the law should be preached. Um, and I typed this up and looked at it. I didn't give it to you, but I have it. Um, prominent antinomian among the early Lutherans was, correct me if I murder this man's name, um, Agricola, Agri- Agri- how would you pronounce Agricola? Agricola. That was the other one I was going to go with. Agricola, <laughs> Agricola, Agricola. No, that's Ricola. Um, <laughs> do what? <laughs> that and the other best advice I got from someone, and it may here been from seminary, was they're all dead. Nobody cares. So, but it's it's good to. At least be close. That way people don't go, who? And they know it as Ricola and I know it as Agricola. Anyway, his view of the law was that it had no place in man's conversion. And I think as good Lutherans, we would all be going, what? Because we are taught that the Ten Commandments do what? They show us our sin. They, they kill us, right? And make us ready to receive The gospel in the little sense. That is the grace that comes to us through what Christ has done. Um, The thought was that the gospel teaches both the wrath of God and the righteousness that avails in his sight. Um, This is what others are saying. A person is brought to repentance, true sorrow for sin and faith in Christ in this way, according to our and this is what he said. It begins when a man sees in Christ how kindly God is disposed to men. Christ is so kindly to us. And this um, you might have a problem with. Um, if, let's say, you were talking to your neighbor. And, you know, you're trying to tell them how wonderful and how kindly God is disposed to him. And he goes, well, of course he is. I'm a pretty good guy. Why wouldn't he be nice and kindly disposed to me? Um, So then what happens is the, the person's heart is deeply moved and seizes on God's grace and kindness and thanks him from the heart. And then follows pain and sorrow on account of his sin previously committed. So he sees God and how kind he is. And he, and he says, oh, this is, this is a wonderful thing. And I'm so moved because God loves me. And oh, but I've done such bad things and, and I've, the sins I've committed. And then the believer is full of sorrow that he never before realized the sins he committed and his blasphemy towards God. Then he forsakes his previous way of life. It says, this is repentance, the first stage of the new birth, the genuine breath of inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The heart gains a trust in God, a cordial trust in God, that God will not reproach him for his folly since he didn't know better. So I was innocent because I didn't know. If you've ever been speeding, that defense doesn't work. You will get a ticket and you will be guilty just You know, you can't just say, well, I didn't know that was wrong. Um, Then this great benefaction that the sinner has experienced kindles within a childlike fear against rousing his good and gracious God and fathers uh, again to anger, lest he add new guilt to the old. And what do you do with the new guilt? Because now you just sinned again and again and again. So... What happens in this model is that um, people either become Pharisees where they ignore their sin or find a way to marginalize their sin and think, oh, everything's all good. Or they are just struck with terror and fear and depression because they can't attain this level that they feel they should with God because God has been so kind to them and they can't be the good child that they think God wants and so they just never find any peace with God. Well, the more Lutheran position we read is that uh, we believe teaching a fest that the distinction between law and gospel is to be preserved with great diligence in the church and especially and as as an especially glorious light through which the word of God, in accord with Paul's admonition, is properly divided. We believe and teach and confess that the law is strictly speaking a divine teaching which gives instruction regarding what is right and God-pleasing and condemns everything that is sin and contrary to God's will. This is the law as it was given to Moses, Ten Commandments. And they looked at those as, you might say, kind of concrete Uh, thou shalt not murder. Okay, got that one covered. Um, You know, they felt they trusted God. They felt they kept the first three commandments as long as they sacrificed as they should and did the feast and festivals as they should and they kept God's law. Moses read it all to them, Yet we will do this. (laughs) You know, well, oops, it's not in your power. And really that's, the whole theme throughout the whole Old Testament is God saying, do this, and them saying, okay. And then them not doing it, and God saying, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Classic example, tell the confirmation students, is the Red Sea. Get all the way out there, a few days' journey out, here comes Pharaoh, And they're all like, we should go back. We should go back because we had steak and mashed potatoes and the fields were all green and we only worked two days a week. I'm exaggerating. But this is how their mind was working. They're going to die, so we'll go back. And um, Moses, what are we going to do? Moses like, what am I going to do? And God says, just stand over there and watch what I do. And he leads them all through on dry ground. He does the impossible, and that's what Christ does for us—is the impossible that we cannot do for ourselves. So, um, it's important to see the law on its one side, where it condemns sinners and shows us our need for Christ. But it's also important to see that it is the gospel of Christ. But Christ did both things. He preached against the Pharisees. He preached against sin. He told people to repent. And so even Christ does what is called an alien work in that he preaches the need for repentance. It's not just, I love y'all. There is a need for repentance and to understand one's need for forgiveness. Um, he truly does love you all. By the way. just don't want to thank you. He doesn't. But he loves you all. Because of the faith that God has created in you. Through the Holy Spirit. And that faith in him. Um, so. The law needs to. Show our sin. And then. We see our need for Christ. And our brokenness. Um, not that we get to see Christ and go, Oh, I'm so happy. I guess I need that. Maybe I'm pretty good otherwise. Uh, And then we don't have a true understanding of what God's given us. Uh, It says, because let's see. Let's see. Okay. So we talked about, uh, The law tells us what is right and God-pleasing and condemns everything that is sin and contrary to God's will. Therefore, everything that condemns sin is and belongs to the proclamation of the law. However, the gospel is, strictly speaking, the kind of teaching that reveals what the human being who has not kept the law and has been condemned by it should believe. So the gospel is this good news that the crushed sinner hears and that is that Christ is atoned and paid for all sins and apart from any human merit has obtained and won for people the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness which avails before God and gives them eternal life. That's where this other one that the, uh, that the great benefaction that the sinner has experienced kindles within a childlike fear against rousing his good and gracious God and Father again to anger lest he add new guilt to the old. I don't know about the rest of you, but I added plenty of guilt this past week, I'm sure. And I spoke in my sermon of taxes, and Pastor will attest, and Diane will attest, and Juanita will attest that I have been walking around the past few days going, oh, what's going to happen? When you get the phone call from your tax preparer who specializes in ministry and they say, you guys are doing this wrong. What you're doing is illegal. You kind of go, and then you tell your church treasurer and they're like, no, right here, it says we can do it this way. And you're like, and you're doing my taxes now. (laughs) Who do you trust? Anyway, names will remain out of this. But what does it make you do? It makes you worry and worry and worry. And I, I, is worry a sin? Yeah, I, I, if you're worrying and not trusting in God, um, that, that's a sin. It's probably also a sin to say, okay, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to put it in all a box and send it to the IRS. That doesn't work either. <laughs> Then I'd be worrying more, and you'd be making two calls um, for a pastor, probably. Um, But the law condemns us, and, you know, worrying unnecessarily and not trusting in God above all things, and trusting him to either give you the knowledge or provide you the knowledge to solve these problems you have and get through them, Um, so, yeah, sin. We're full of it. The. Uh, but then we see the grace of Christ. So, that was just one thing. Should I go on with what I did? Debbie's shaking her head. No. No, don't. Um, you know, if you know your sin, do you know my sin? And that's how we know each other's sin. So, um, the... Uh, However, because the word gospel is not used in just one sense in the Holy Scripture, the reason this dispute arose in the first place, we believe, teach and confess, that when the word gospel is used for the entire teaching of Christ, which he presented in his teaching ministry, and as we, as I, talked about in the sermon, he taught the disciples, Romeus, from Moses all the way through Scripture, who he was. So, the gospel is the entire teaching of Christ, which is the whole Bible, which he presented in his teaching ministry, as did the apostles in theirs, it is used in this sense in Mark 1, 15, Acts 20, 24, Then it is correct to say or write that the gospel is a proclamation of both repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So, this is that alien work, that it, the gospel points us to our sin so we can actually know our need and understand our need for a Savior and the work God has done through Christ, Um, so that's kind of one group that wanted to preach on, you know, God so kindly disposed to us and we should fear and love him for that. There were other problems going on in this time. And that was, um, that they had been so long under the Catholic church, just do this, do this, do this, that they needed a good dose of grace. And that's really what. A lot of people heard Luther bringing this grace, grace, grace. And there was a fear, and I correct me if I'm wrong, good Pastor Roman, uh, that uh, Melanchthon and the Philippist had that, well, if we don't preach the law, the people are just going to go camp run amok and think, hey, everything's covered and we're good. And so um, we can sin, we can do what we want because of this overarching grace we have and that is not true either um, as we all well know um, so you have the law in three phases you have the law as a curb which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago that it was this remember the bus trip that the bus I went through when I was about five years old six years old and Got the tour of the prison bus and here's the cell that I'm gonna be put in someday and I'm gonna to have to sleep in and here's the oh the electric chair if I kill somebody and the gas chamber and I said that my criminal career came to an end right there. And that's the curb of the law that God gives. And if you look at all societies, they pretty much have these same laws. And I covered that studying anthropology many, 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 many years ago. But, uh, you know, you don't murder. For the most part, you don't commit adultery. Societies that do, do not do well. Um, You don't steal from each other because that just doesn't work out. And so these laws are there. But the laws that are missing are the laws. These are the laws people to people. But the first three commandments deal with God with us. And not all societies have those. They are blind and dead to God's law in that regard. Um, so you have this curb of the law, and then you have the overarching law that just shows us that we cannot uh, be righteous before God, and that starts with the first commandment, which is that you know um, we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. And um, I find it interesting in the large catechism that, that is just pages and pages and pages, and you blow that one when you blow all the others because your fear and trust in God just goes out the window. Um, so this, this is the, the, law, the law of God that shows us our sin and the commandments. And then once you have this forgiveness, um, we talk about being freed from the law. And this was the Philippist. We're freed from the law, so we don't have to keep the law, but we're freed from the condemnation of the law. So the psalmist can write, I love your law. I love your righteous judgments. I love, you know, all these things. You're like, how do you love all this law that tells you you're a sinner and you should die? Well, you love it because of Christ and being freed of it. And being free of just this weight bearing down on you to keep the law. You're free to look at it and love it and try your best to do it. And that becomes the third use of the law, which, you know, some say it, it's still hard to preach on because when you preach on it, one person's hearing the law and the other person's hearing the law and the things that I should do to be more Christ-like. They confuse the law as something they do to gain righteousness versus keeping the law being God's sanctifying act in us as we do our work as his children to do his will for the benefit of the world, those around us, our neighbor. It's our vocation where we keep the law. So so we don't steal. We don't um, talk about our neighbor. We don't gossip. But then we do, and we're forgiven. We, we're forgiven. We're just always running this course, trying to go this way and this way and this way and this way and this way. And if we don't get forgiven, we just all the way off the course and and we delve deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. But when we realize that our sins are forgiven, uh, we are able to, with that knowledge of forgiveness, go forward and, okay, we'll try this one again. Um, Does that mean that we're not going to have problems because we sin I mean God forgives all of our sins when we repent but we'll still have problems in this world related to them Um, for instance if I don't get my taxes done tomorrow or file an extension I will have problems God will forgive me I will ultimately render unto Caesar what is Caesar's but meantime they want to have a good portion of it in their coffers first before they realize they owe me um, anyway I'm looking at clocks I, I don't know questions, thoughts um, yes sir one day that comes to mind in the Old Testament when they were out in the desert they got bitten by the snakes and if they looked up I guess it was a snake mm-hmm Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, real good. Yeah, because we, the law tells us that we're dead, you know, that that we can't. And um, you can ignore the law, but it, uh, I I don't, you know, people, hmm, I won't go there. But, I mean, you look through the Old Testament, you look at all the problems that the Israelites encountered when they turned from God and worshipped idols. And that's ultimately when we turn from God's law and we seek something else, we're worshiping idols, whether it's the idol of, uh, of uh, what did a pastor call it in confirmation class? Come on, give me more than that. Um, you know, if our idol becomes uh, uh, saint mattress and, and uh, you know, mother pillow or something on Sunday mornings instead of... Going to church, you know, that's that's one very obvious idol. But, uh, you know, our idols can be money. Our idols can be fame. Our idols can be what people think of us. Our idols uh, can be any number of things that we sort of push God aside so we can enjoy something else, whatever it is. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so the snakes come, they bite the people, and they look up to this snake on a cross, which is a claudicus thing of medical now, um, that, by which they were healed. <coughs> what else? <laughs> wow. Okay, good. We're we were born. Yeah. Yeah, we were snake bit when we were born. Yeah. The, 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 the Satan had bitten humanity, if you will, and, and condemned us all to to die, um, And that was, the uh, pastor was talking about that, you know, with the, the crushing um, of the serpent's head. Uh, and Jesus would be wounded. He would be bitten and wounded. He would strike his heel. And Satan would strike his heel and, and uh, serpent. And Jesus would crush his head. And in the old times, um, before shoes, when you wore sandals and your feet were out, all the time. Um, people had very heavy calluses on their heels. And it was possible that you would get bitten by a snake and it would bite you in the heel and you and the fangs would come out. But there would be in a callus where there was little or no blood flow and you would live. So his heel is struck, but then he crushes the head of the serpent and kills it. It's kind of an analogy that's lost. If it was going to my uncle, you would say this serpent is going to strike your boot. You know, you know, my uncle always wore these big leather boots, pull on, because he would always be out traipsing through the woods and everything else, being a hunter. And mid-summer, he's wearing these boots. I'm like, what are you doing? There's snakes out here. And I have my tennis shoes going, what? <laughs> so, you know, I got some gospel from him. Um, <clears throat> I think I just quit going to the woods with him is what happened. No, I don't want to walk down to the river today. Let's stay here and just shoot the shotgun. It's more fun. Um, Yeah, so uh, that that serpent on the heel where we all were brought death. Thank you, Satan. Um, What else? Yes. I think there was uh, one
1: that they had a a scripture on, and I don't know if it's in Romans or where it is, but it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, so that there's a picture of law and gospel Mm -hmm. right together just for uh,
0: comfort and sharing. Yeah, Yeah, that was, we were looking at that last fall. Romans yeah, that we've all fallen short and and the thought that well, now I'm saved and now I'm perfect, and I'm never going to sin again, you know that no not the way it works um, what else did I have here hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm yeah uh where am i at matthew five uh da, da, da. you don't have to look this up i'm talking about christ coming to fulfill the law and he says Do you not know, think that i've come to abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them and it goes down to 21, talks about anger. You have heard that it was said that those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. So if you are offering your gifts at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Christ brings the spirituality of the law, not the letter. I spoke a little bit ago that they would keep the letter of the law. Well, I never murdered anybody. You know, well, we all have. You know, we're all imperfect under God's law. But we have the gift of grace through Christ. Um, and then it goes from there and describes the other sins that we just go to. What else? Questions, thoughts? Yes. How do you answer uh, you know,
1: what's the best answer for some of these uh, with the New Testament you're free from your sins
0: forgiving your sins? Therefore if I can go and sin all I want and I'll be forgiven. Yeah, that, that was the fear of the Philippists in, in uh, Luther's time that people would just run amok with this new grace. And so they wanted... You know, a stern preaching of the law. And this sort of became um, like a a pietistic movement where you just sought to get better and better and better. And we do seek to get better and we should get better because the Bible tells us don't sin. You know, I mean, Jesus uh, heals uh, a woman of of adultery and he says, go and sin no more. I always looked at that one. Does that apply to all of them? Go and sin no more? I mean, that, that is that weight that just presses down on you that, that you're going to get in this antinomian. Jesus just you know, loves you and you know, just do your best and do better and better because we can't. We're, we're stuck on this side of creation. Our old Adam just can't. It, it's this defect that is in us, this, this like cancer that is in us. We weren't created this way. Our image as we were created is is like that of God. But we have this defect in our flesh. And so God heals the death of the defect with faith in Christ. But we still have to die in this life. And and so, yeah, um, to just say, well, I can go on sinning and go on sinning. um, No, that's... How do you answer that? Um, so, if, yeah, and then when you do, you repent and you're forgiven. But the process of sanctification, that, that's really, I think, where they get messed up. They start confusing sanctification, whereas we do these things because we're forgiven and we aren't under the weight of the law and we can do better but our doing better gains us no merit before God for our salvation. It's just we're doing what he's given us to do as his children. You know, when your kid goes out and does nice things, it's nice but it doesn't gain for them any more love from you. That You know, they went out and got a scholarship, or they went out and whatever they do, you don't love them more for that. You love them for who they are. And and it's interesting because who they are is because God has given us the ability to participate in creation. And so here you have a child, man, woman, child. It's like, almost like this Trinity thing, God, Father, Holy Spirit. And you love that child because it's you. It's, you know, it's part of you, created in your image. And God loves us because we're created in his image. But we have a defect. And so he he fixes it for us because we can't do it ourselves. And you don't want to go on in that defect. So he sanctifies us and makes us better. We're ultimately sanctified when we're risen in glory on the last day. Glory like Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm looking. No, no wonder I'm not seeing it. I'm still on Matthew. (laughs) Romans. I'm just going to find it and read it out loud because... is the eternal life we live now as baptized children of God we're going to die but we're living an eternal life so that's kind of hard to wrap your wrap your arms around a little bit but right now we're living an eternal life but in this life we can't be this perfectness that we should be but in the resurrected life we will be but we grow and we grow but we grow in sanctification, but it doesn't save us. As soon as you start want to start counting your works, you just run into a wall because you can't do it. That was the big problem I always saw logically with the Roman Catholics and purgatory. It made no sense. It just wasn't logical. I'm supposed to buy indulgences or I'm supposed to do things for my father and uncle or whoever that is in purgatory because they didn't do good enough in their life. And I'm supposed to get stuff for them. Shouldn't I be amassing stuff for myself? So I don't have to go to pur- purgatory in the first place? Yet yeah, you're trying to pay them off. And of course you were purchasing the, 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 the uh, good works of the saints and, and these things, not of your own. But yeah, it's like uh, no, just never logically worked for me. So guess I didn't study enough Roman Catholic theology as a child. Thank you, Mother. Um, okay. I don't know. Other questions? Let's see. Southern Indiana. A long time ago, there was a place called Harmony. Mm-hmm. Work. Uh, they were Lutherans. There
1: was Father Rapid, a bunch of people he brought from Europe. But he decided at one point that all the women should live in one dormitory, all the men in the other dormitory. And that way they would be sinless. But then the problem was there started to be a lot of illegitimate children. <laughs> Yeah. it was interesting that they had all these rules that Father Rappin made but one rule he didn't make was you know about the whiskey and so they made so much whiskey and they were so productive that uh, they were making thousands and thousands of dollars of course this is back like I think in
0: an the 1800s and they were getting so wealthy that you know hmm. they had to give up on their congregation so you know I thought <laughs> so, that that so the they were Lutherans, so their sin was they should have made beer. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't have sold as well, <laughs> been for their own medicinal use or something. But yeah, th- there are all these stories, she was talking about New Harmony, um, and the failure of a, what we'll call a utopian-type society, where, you know, you got the Oneidas, you got, you know, a bunch of them, and they just thought, we're going to have this perfect little society, and then it all falls apart. Um, so it, it, it doesn't work. You make these rules and then you get weighed down by the rules and you've got to have forgiveness. And that's kind of the pietist movement as well where you just get weighted down with trying to do better and better and better and, and you know, not uh, not be rich. I think I got that one covered. Um, anybody want to join a society with me? No, I'm kidding. Sorry. No, I'm not making whiskey. Um, whiskey and I don't get along. And uh, yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Any one last thing? We've got uh, four minutes for confession. No, okay. Yeah. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because God does use us as uh, a massive God. So He is using us as vessels for the gospel. Right. Uh, how do you make that distinction? Like, it's that whole saint and sinner. <laughs> yeah, that whole. Are, are, you, are you a saint? Are you a sinner? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of. Examples on this, um, where it's where it's hard to just discern what path to take. Um, personally, I've probably seen people deal with that more in end of life issues, where they're seeking the counsel of physicians, they're seeking the counsel of clergy, they're looking at their loved one. Um, and they're having to make some pretty tough decisions. And the Bible nowhere says, thou shalt not be put on more than four IV drips if you're on a ventilator, or thou shalt not, it's not there. We're to value life, and above all things. um, We're to value life knowing that that doesn't mean um, we'll be free from suffering. And so you look at a situation like that, and the way it was put to me at seminary was your, your goal in that, your, your goal is always not to sin. But in an instance like that, it may be very hard to discern, you know, do we, you know, withdraw care? Do we continue on? You know, and, and um, but you pray and you seek, you know, guidance um, from the best sources you have this world and, you know, through prayer. And um, you do what's right and you, you go boldly with that knowledge and know you're forgiven. Um, that, that's all you can do. And, and it, it's a little different than, you know, should I go 90 miles an hour to 55 or not? I mean, you know, or should I, or should I, uh, my neighbor, you know, should I do whatever because he just, his dog barks all night and should I go over and do something terrible? No, I shouldn't, you know, whatever it is. I don't have a neighbor whose dog barks all night, so don't, I'm not applying personal things here, um, you know, but I mean, we all know the gross sins from the small sins and e- even. The example I gave, you know, you could look at that and go, that could be a pretty big sin, but it's hard for us to discern. So, we trust, we trust in the forgiveness that, that Christ gives us, but we don't seek to abuse that in a way like, hey, it's all good. We can make whiskey. You can make whiskey. You just can't do it for a profit. No. I... If your vocation is making whiskey, you should not feel bad. <clears throat> God gives you a vocation, and you can witness through that vocation. So. Although you shouldn't cause your brother to be tempted either, so just caution in those things. Anything else? Looking, going once, going twice, three times. Okay. Okay. We'll close with a prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you've given us your law and your gospel so that we may know our sin and know the frailty of our lives and the judgment that is upon us. And with that, we look to you and we look to you, the suffering of your Son and the resurrection of your Son and the glory of your Son and all that you have given us through him for the eternal life and the forgiveness you have given us. Help us never to look at that lightly and help us to look at our sin and be repentant. Sanctify us, make us better. Help us to keep your law. Help us to love your law. Help us not to be afraid of your law because we are covered by the blood of Christ and his forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name,
1: amen.